Welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words and wine. I'm Alexa. And I'm Maritza. Let's get lit on literature. Woo! So this is episode six. Episode six. And we're so excited. Another episode in Halloween spooky season. So, uh, but we're serving up a different kind of spooky this time. Yes, we decided this time to nod at magical realism, which is such an important category and such a brilliant way of tackling, you know, contemporary issues, you know, just peppering in a little bit of that fantasy, a little bit of that magic to really make a story interesting and pop and different. And, And in this case, we chose Exit West by Mozine Hamid, and this is probably one of my favorite books it was a good book ever i i read this back in 2017 when it first came out and it was uh chosen as one of the top 10 best books of 2017 by the new york times book review so this is a book that has been around for a couple years so inevitably i had to reread it in order to (laughs) to uh remember really all all the details but this is really a story about about migration. It's a story about um, what it means to to leave your home yeah. and to find home elsewhere and to create family along the way. This is a, a relatively short book. It's 230 pages. Um, and it's and it's just a book that I think, even though it's so slim, it, it packs a punch. I mean, it, yeah. it really is an epic, but, but very slim down, you know? So I was really excited to to read this book, to reread this book, and to have this conversation with you and to share it with everyone because so many people that are going to listen to this and so many people in our community, us being here in, in, in Miami, we know that people are going to relate to this story Definitely. and that it's, it's, it's going to prompt conversation outside of this episode. Yeah, and I like how they use, um, we'll get into it later, but I like how they use a lot of fantasy and and whimsical um you know things that are kind of ridiculous what we'll think about down the line but to talk about really hard-hitting issues that are affecting us well every day have been affecting us will affect us even more in the future so um i thought it was a very clever way of of bringing people into the fold with that and so different so different so different i didn't expect it yeah like we don't we don't normally think of stories about immigration and magical realism yeah right? like you're not always gonna make that connection it feels it feels a little unnatural i think when, mm-hmm. when we describe it but what's so brilliant about this book is that the magical realism elements are really what sort of highlight the these issues and and conversely a lot of the raw detail also really highlights the reasons why people migrate so you have the, the hyper realistic detailed gruesome imagery mm-hmm. paired alongside the magical, the whimsical, mm-hmm. the fantasy that also allows for you to feel some semblance of hope. Yeah. And the blurring of borders and all of that just becomes so much more succinctly put by using this method of magical realism. So really, really, really interesting way to approach such a broad and yeah. obviously very Serious. difficult yeah. topic. topic. For sure. Absolutely. But before we get into the conversation, we're, you know, we're going to be talking about issues, of course, of migration, the symbolism of magical realism in this book. We're going to talk about some personal anecdotes, our community. But before we get into that, most importantly, while we do that, we will be drinking 
an absolutely delicious wine that we just cracked open. We just tried it a couple of minutes ago. Tell, tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so going along with the Halloween theme again, with it being around the corner and a bunch of, you know, you see pumpkins and orange and, and black and ice. So I wanted to kind of relate to that motif. And today we're drinking uh, Maturana Wines Naranjo. Um, it's from 2019. It's Chilean and it's an orange wine, which um, I have very much gotten you into. Um, but no, it's not made from oranges. It's a very specific method. So we'll touch upon that. But it has, I wish you guys could see it. It has a beautiful amber hue, very much in line with uh, with Halloween and spooky season. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that and post some photos on Instagram so you guys can see what we're looking at. It really is orange. It's really pretty. Like, because sometimes they're not this orange. And I will get right. into that later as to why and why not. <laughs> I think orange wine is how you got me into wine. I think so. I was like, this is interesting that no one tries. And Let's you're like, see. try this. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're super, you're very natty these days. Natural yes. wine. <laughs> yes, very much so. But this is delicious. And mm-hmm. we'll get into that. And I'm, I'm curious because I don't know all that much about orange wine and the process of orange wine. And I think it's... um. It's one of those things that people will appreciate to learn more about because you it is pretty accessible. I mean, you, you can find orange wine pretty easily. So yeah, we're, we're eager especially to these share. days. So it, it's it's another little wine in your arsenal of knowledge around wine that you could you could pull out and feel good about. Exactly. And we, we're into the weird stuff around here. Yeah. We've already brought you English sparkling wine. So, you know, <laughs> let's just keep it weird. We're broadening your horizons. <laughs> keep it weird. <laughs> <laughs> so exit west. Exit West. I, so I, I had mentioned this book to you a while back, mm-hmm. like before I think we had even like talked about doing this podcast because it's one of those books that always comes back to me. Mm-hmm. I remember not so much the details about the two main characters, which are Saeed and Nadia, but I remember as, as good books should, um, I remember how the book made me feel. Yeah. So it's normal. I think it's important to say that it's normal to forget the details of a book that you love, which is why you should feel inclined to want to reread it later on. But you should never forget how a book makes you feel, at least if a book is good. Yeah, I think that that's I agree. really... That's a good way of judging a book. Yeah. It's like if you can think back a year, two years from now and think, man, when I read that book, I really enjoyed it. I couldn't put it down. I felt so this or that. You know, that's how you know that the book had some sort of profound effect on you. And this is one of those books that, I mean, I read it back in 2017 and I still felt the need to go back to it now. And reading it, of course, in this context, mm-hmm. you know, in this uh, in, in this moment in time where, you know, we're, we're inevitably seeing so much migration and of course everything post-COVID um, with my disclaimer that we're not really post-COVID. I always mm. say that because it's important to remain important. remain vigilant and responsible and all of that. But, but you know, we're living in this world now that um, has forced us to have an entirely new perspective. And this issue of migration is very close to, to both of our hearts. And I think inevitably anyone who lives, especially in a city like ours, you know, a city that was truly wholeheartedly, you know, built by immigrants in so many ways you know we 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 read this book and it's it's going to affect us yeah and what i hope is that have those feelings of yeah yeah, that we can identify with the book i felt very i felt a certain level of of compassion for the characters yeah because i'm personally very interested in this issue 
but but I guess the, the the first thing that I that I should clear up is is really what this book is about for those of you who who have not read it and you don't have to we're we're getting a little overview for you to dive into the topics and themes exactly our job here is to inspire you to hopefully read it yeah (laughs) (laughs) if you haven't done so already but this is a book that's as i mentioned very short um about saeed and nadia who are living in a nameless country we never know where it is that they are it's the which, middle east though honestly right course, it has to course. be <laughs> yeah that's of course and the author of course, is is lives in, in in pakistan and i believe is pakistani so you know from many of the descriptions we know and we understand it's quite obvious that they're in the middle east but we don't know exactly where and i think the author does this on purpose because we we don't want this to feel like a book that's tied to a particular war we yeah. want this to be a book that teaches us about migration and creates a certain level of compassion within us without attaching it to a particular moment in history. Mm-hmm. Because let's be real, these 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 troubles continue and will continue. Yeah, right? exactly. And everyone has their preconceived notions and judgments about it. So it's better off that it's nameless. Exactly, exactly. So that was definitely intentional. And the, this is about a, a couple. They meet in this city that... We already have a sense that there is some sort of fighting going on, that things are unstable, but they they keep their lives relatively normal for the first couple of weeks. And then war breaks out and they describe the militants taking over the city. They describe what it's like to live in this city where suddenly their their phones don't work, right? Mm -hmm. This idea that we're connected by phones is so fickle. Um, we experienced it a couple weeks ago when Instagram went down for like six oh hours. Oh my God. I'm like, why can't I post this? No. And we DM all the time. And I'm like, this message isn't going through. And we normally chat on WhatsApp. So suddenly you're like texting We're me and I was screwed. like, what is this? SMS? What is that? What is an SMS? And I have an iPhone. So the messages were green. I have it was an Android, I know. Very strange. So this idea of like <laughs> connection being fickle, I thought was tackled in a really cool and yeah. interesting way in this book. And they, they find a way, of course, to see each other. And, and they become incredibly close quickly. And I think, in part, it's due to the circumstances, of course, as she moves in with him and his family in order to not be by herself. Yeah. She is described as, as someone who was quite rebellious, but I think I think brave is the right word. Yeah, and she chose to leave her family. Yeah, I don't... I think in, in their terms, of course, she's rebellious because of their society. But mm-hmm. just in terms of what we have over here and stuff, I think she is brave. Yeah. Yeah, she basically said, the life that you are expecting of me is not the life that I want for myself. And as an unmarried woman, she leaves and she lives on her own. And that's unheard of in this unnamed uh, city (laughs) that they're at. And so I I feel for her and I respect her and I love her as a character. I think Nadia is portrayed in such an incredible way. She's written in a very compassionate Mm -hmm. way. And I really appreciated the way that the author sort of built her um, to us. And, and Saeed is just this very sweet and kind um, young guy who, yeah, who's yeah. very religious, right? More traditional. From, She's more, I would yes. say, progressive and he's traditional. Yeah, exactly. And and comes from a home where, you know, they, they, they love him very much and they're very attached to one another. So they have different relationships with their families. And that, of course, comes into play later, inevitably, when they're trying to figure out their own relationship. Mm-hmm. But these are two characters that I think were built in a really, really interesting, uh, in an interesting and compassionate way. They were built in, in a great, great, great way for the reader. And what what really struck me was how their relationship or how the author was able to 
build their relationship in the midst of so much chaos and really force us to understand why that closeness happened so quickly, yeah. which made it, I think, easier for us to accept when things somewhat fell apart. Yeah. Right? It, it was easier to accept because you see how much they go through in order to get to where they're at. And the magical realism element of the book is <laughs> very cool. I mean, like, it's just so clever. Like you were saying, essentially what happens is that doors, doors like the ones in your home, in your closet, in your office building, whatever, these doors suddenly become portals yeah. to the West, and hence the title. These become portals to other places, portals where they assume they can find relative safety. Yeah. But of course, of course, that's not necessarily the case because they encounter, you know, nativists who don't want them there. And they encounter violence and they encounter racism and they encounter um, all sorts of different hardships. So yeah. these portals are the element of magical realism in the book. And they symbolize, I think, the blurring of borders. Yeah. They symbolize a modern world where borders are, um, I mean... I mean, eventually they're going to become obsolete with how, you know, climate with change... With how connected we are. And how connected we are and how people have to shift regions. And, I mean, we're, we're seeing it even in California with the fires and stuff. People have to drop and leave their homes. They can't go back to that. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that you mentioned climate change um, because we did talk about that quite a bit in the last episode and the idea that um, that's going to force people to we're gonna, have to move. And we're going to have to move to Georgia or something with the way that the we're past Georgia. She's making a face right now. I'm making a face. I'm very, I would very... only be happy there if I could meet and hang out with Senator John Ossoff because I have Ooh, a really weird crush yes. on him. I think he's like adorable. I think he'll take us in as a as sea level rise refugees. <laughs> we're getting off topic, but I really hope so. <laughs> I adore him. But yes, this is, this is exactly it. Like we're not going to be able to live the life that we live now because the earth was not designed to sustain this level of abuse, yeah. right? That's the reality. And there's a really interesting quote in the book where Nadia is essentially describing the fact that these militants were willing to destroy the city in order to possess it. Yeah. And that's, that's true of climate change in the sense that if we're not willing to do something about it, we're willing to let Earth go. Um, as opposed to protect it, right? Um, this is in the hands of, of the most powerful, but but they're willing to see things really go to shit yeah. in order to possess this land, in order to take control. And, and these militants are described in horrific... I mean, there are moments in the book, and, and I didn't... I didn't want to type any of these quotes down because I felt morbid, but there are moments when the author really, really describes what some of these horrific scenes are that cause them, of course, to want to leave. The violence that is being inflicted yeah. on their people is so horrific, so disgusting, that this is... It's, it's necessary to put that in the book. People need to understand that people do not leave their homes, that they love the soil that birthed them, unless they truly felt that it was safer yeah. to put themselves in danger to go elsewhere and potentially be treated horribly, not be allowed in, uh, or yeah. be 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 um 
you know, at the mercy of handouts and aid. Yeah, you're leaving everything behind. The roof over your head, the clothes on your back, the mementos, the the family, everything, everything to, to, to for a chance at a better life. Right. And, and they were so horrible. The nativists were so horrible to them. Horrible. Horrible. Like if they're roaches or something. Like they, like they were just looking at them as lesser and not being compassionate. And that was just heartbreaking because it's, it's happening every day. We see it every day. Exactly. We see it every day. And, you know, we, we live in a country that is, of course, incredibly divided on this issue. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you and I happen to be of the belief that we're not short of resources in this country. We're short of compassion and we're short of um, strategy. Yeah. That's really all it is. And, and, and it's, this book is very heartbreaking for that reason, because if you are of that belief, reading those scenes that you're, that you just mentioned about the nativists and how the nativists essentially felt the need to massacre these people. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really, it feels, it feels horrible. <laughs> it feels horrible to read them. And, and I, and I forget how privileged I am all the time because I yeah. live here in Miami where almost everyone speaks Spanish and they and they look and they sound like me and like my parents, but that's not the reality in America. No. Right? So if I leave Miami, I will experience, you know, different things and they're not all pleasant. No, at all. And I mean, both of us are from other, our families come from other countries. Um, I was recently having a sit down with my great grandmother and my mom and my grandma and, and, you know, filming her to talk about Cuba and see how, you know, their life was there and the revolution and when they came over here and they came over here, thank God, in the freedom flights in the 70s, which was very luxurious yeah. <laughs> instead of a boat, a random ass boat. Yeah. And they had to go to New Jersey and they stayed with my great uncle for a bit and people weren't very welcoming. People weren't excited to have all these Cuban immigrants there. And, you know, they left everything. My great grandmother was almost in tears telling me about it because she looked you know, out at the tarmac and at the gate where she had all her family there waving for her and she didn't know if she would ever see them again. But that just knowing that she might have opportunity for her and her family in America was was enough to give up that family that she may never see again. Right. So it just, it breaks my heart when they leave his his dad in one of the scenes to go find a better life. And that was horrible. Was so that was horrible. And, and there's, there's a quote on page 98 that speaks to exactly what you're talking about, about your great-grandma. It says, but that is the way of things. For when we migrate, we murder from our lives those we leave behind. Mm-hmm. The guilt that comes with leaving and hoping to find something better for yourself and knowing that you're going to experience all of those things and that they are not. Yeah. That's a level of guilt that I think very few people truly understand unless unless you've experienced that yeah. yourself, you know, and and the book does a great job of of touching on that, of this idea that that as you as you migrate, you are killing a part of yourself, you're killing a part of your past, you carry it with you, but it's no longer your reality, you know that you will no longer live that life. Mm-hmm. And that's terrifying. It's so scary. That's terrifying. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, you and I, right? We're both fortunate that we don't, we don't have that experience. But the reason that we don't have that experience is is because our parents had that experience or our grandparents had that experience. The idea of, of moving somewhere else and putting yourself in the face of danger in the hopes that the generation after you 
won't have to worry about this is one of the most selfless things that a person can do. And so I do get really upset when people talk about migration um, in a flippant and ignorant uh, way, because clearly that language comes from a position of privilege. Yeah. And that always frustrates the shit out of me because people just don't seem to understand that people don't make these decisions no. <laughs> unless they absolutely fucking have to. No, if it were up to my family and it wasn't a dictatorship in Cuba, we'd all still be in Cuba because they had farms and properties and businesses and enjoyed, you know, simpler times in life. And yeah, it just went to shit yeah. and we're here and we're having a great life and everyone's proud and they're happy to be American. But it was because of that regime that came in. It's not right. because we wanted a handout in America. Right. Like most, you know, the people of the other thought thing. Right. They, they seem to think that we're, and I say we're, because <laughs> I was born here, but I firmly stand on the side of those who, who make that treacherous path. And I think of my parents who came here too, with very little, um, in order to not only create better opportunity for themselves, but to create opportunity for their children. And that I think is the definition of, of success for people of that generation. Yeah knowing that I can do the work that I do, that I was formally educated on a very high level, that I was able to find opportunity for myself here is the success. It's the gift that keeps on giving because of the sacrifices that were made to come here. Yeah. So I take it very seriously. I, I am that person that if, you know, if you say something derogatory to somebody like, oh, you, you, you this is America, you need to learn English or mm. some shit like that, mm. I get involved and I say some nasty shit because... Um, you have no idea what it took for that person to come here. You don't know their story. Show some compassion. Show some respect. Stop being an absolute fucking douchebag. Yeah. And 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 learn about other people before you make comments like that. You know, speak English. Get get get, get, get out, get out the of fuck here. Out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. Says the person that only speaks one language. Right. Exactly. That, that always <laughs> makes always. me laugh. That always makes me laugh. If I if I hear someone saying that, I'm like. You know, these are people who, you know, maybe their English isn't isn't very good, but they're trying and yeah. they're already speaking more, you know, more languages than you. So where does where does this judgment really come from? Who needs from? to learn here? Yeah. Who going to learn today here? Where, where does this judgment come from? Oh, oh, it's because they're brown. Yeah. Right. It's not. It's because they don't look like you. That's the real problem that you have. So don't look at me and tell me speak English, this, that, whatever. You know, stop pretending. This is about people not looking like you. Yeah. And the idea of nativism is, is tackled in this book in a really brilliant way because he does say the nativists all happened to believe that, you know, those who are um, are most deserving of being here. And this is when they're in, in the UK, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I think those who are most deserving of being here are those who who look who look the most white, who look the most like the, the Brits who are outside of our windows and are, you know, wreaking havoc essentially on all the migrants but you know this is an issue that we're, we're not going to find a solution to it mm -hmm. until people start to see each other as people mm -hmm. and unfortunately his history will tell you that we've actually <laughs> never achieved that right not to sound not to sound sad and negative but the truth is that we have never no. actually achieved that in any way shape or form and um and there's a really brilliant moment in the book that says location 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 the realtors say geography is destiny respond the historians mm. and that's absolute that's fact the only difference between you and someone else 
needing to 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 migrate is the fact that you happen to have been born in a place that was perhaps more stable yeah. than them. Luck. That's it. That's all luck. <laughs> That's all it is. So now that we've properly shamed um, nativists, nativists, and and people who who like to think derogatory things about migrants. Um, I want to move on to a, a, por- a portion of the book or a theme in the book that the both of us loved and really, really enjoyed. So we mentioned already, or you mentioned that Nadia is someone who is more progressive, less mm-hmm. traditional, Saeed, more traditional. And at one point, at the very beginning of the book, he says to her, if you don't pray, why do you wear it? Because she wears a black robe. Yeah, she wears a right? black robe. They meet in class and he was trying to ask her on a date and was right. curious if she right. was super religious or not because of the black robe. Right. And her response <laughs> is, so men don't fuck with me. <laughs> Point blank. And this is page 16. So I was like, okay, I obviously already love Nadia as a character. Like, I'm already in. I'm already into her. I'm already lo- I already love her. Um, but this is a, a, a theme in the book that it keeps going right we we see it peppered throughout she has quite a few experiences of you know being described as someone who has to navigate um the you know her everyday life as an unmarried woman out in the world and what kind of lack of safety yeah. uh, that that you know that that creates and um the the author describes a moment that says she she learned how to dress for self protection how best to deal with aggressive men and with the police and with aggressive men who were the police and always to trust her instincts about situations to avoid or to exit immediately. And uh, if every single woman on earth reads that, they'll be like, oh, you mean every day? Every day. The way I, uh, I'm always looking around me when I'm walking, the way I hold my keys in my hand when I'm, you know, alone, the way that I... (laughs) Right. Like, this is just... This is anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I'm not, that's in no way, shape, or form trying to diminish the experiences of women who are so much more oppressed. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm thinking, for example, on the news recently, we've seen how the rights of women in Afghanistan have been stripped, oh God, yeah. right? They can't go to school. They can't work. So that's most certainly in no way, shape, or form me trying to diminish that horrific experience but what i do want to emphasize is that all women all over the world share to some degree this experience no of course even i mean we go to a gym um we do crossfit we've been going there for years and years and years and it's always been a very um, safe place a very familial um community place and you know we walk around and you know shorts and and sports bras like very little half naked you know (laughs) sweaty half naked never even considering the thought of someone being creepy as fuck towards us because that's not the kind of community it is and and it was always you know a very great retreat for us a place to go and not think about it recently some newcomer douchebag came in and he is very much of i'm gonna be as creepy as fuck and harass you and i'm gonna try to you know just just get up your ass with things and make you angry (laughs) the male gaze the male Uh, gaze every woman has felt it experienced it and you can feel it right it's so creepy it's so disgusting it's so strange it's so it, it you feel so violated even though it's just the eyes yeah you feel the intention and you feel the belittling in that behavior and you feel 
like what that person is doing is confirming that you are somehow lesser lesser and the lack of respect in that gaze and just it's just disgusting that you are not worthy of being seen as a human first but instead as a woman first yeah and a piece of meat really yeah (laughs) exactly and and i think you know that's that's the issue is that like of course my existence and who i am is informed by the fact that i'm a woman but first and foremost i'm a human being right and and that's really where a lot of these problems stem from right we're thinking about women uh in this book when it comes to nadia we're also thinking of migrants it this is when you other others Mm -hmm. when you when you label them as something less than you or different from you but the reality is that the only differences are that as you mentioned luck you happen to be born in a stable in place in a place that can grant you certain liberties and certain freedoms or you are born in a place um where you have more opportunity etc but the othering of others is is really the 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 prime problem (laughs) you know and and they even say there's a moment where because these these moments of people going through these portals and these doors is peppered throughout like random people like random stories which i think was very sweet little anecdotes of just people that we we don't hear any more about them after after this maybe page or two about them but these little anecdotes remind us that you know these are all human beings right who are facing some pretty difficult situations but there's one moment where these two girls appear somewhere. I think it's Japan, and they're two they're two Filipino girls or something. Mm-hmm. And there's this guy that sees them come out through the yes, door. Yes, And then the last thing that we hear is that he's following them. I know. And you're like, oh shit, oh, you know, like this idea of finding safety is so relative because you find one type of safety you don't necessarily find you know i don't know the 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 safety bodily safety or or whatever you know like there are certain places that can offer you certain types of safety but no place can offer you all safety no at all like walking in america at night as a woman i'm sure is different as it is in afghanistan versus paris versus you know wherever right and 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 it's also really important to note that no matter where you are that these issues you know they they plague every society yeah. you know you you mentioned paris and Very I, I lived there for a long time i lived there for four years and i had a really wonderful experience i love that city probably more than any other i feel like that in a way is my home because i moved there at 18 and you grow you grow into an adult when you're in 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 a foreign country and you show up there not learning not knowing the language and then you have to learn it there and really all sorts i really grew up there it's true i really do feel that way i feel like that's the place that turned me into the person that i am now you know a very different culture a very different sphere um and and a place that taught me so much but i experienced the same horrific sexist garbage um, public space is a place that wasn't designed for women and public space unfortunately is needed to yes. be used by public women especially when you're thinking of a city like Paris where you are taking a lot of public transportation you know, obviously I didn't have a car when I was there I was yeah. on the metro no I was on the bus does. I yeah. was walking you know um, and I had a really horrific experience where a man was following me out of the metro 
when I was um, on my way home very late at night. I think I took the last metro home from the library and this man followed me and assaulted me. And luckily he didn't rob me, but he physically hurt me very badly. Um, and it was one of those things that caused me to, to think like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, should I be here? Like, should I be in Paris? I'm so young and I'm, and I'm on the last Metro home. And, and I immediately started to like, not blame myself, but, but like think twice about shame, almost yeah, yourself in exactly. a way. Like, what am I doing here? But it's like, you should be able to take a fucking to train home and right. not get assaulted. Right. Exactly. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I was wearing a, a puffy coat. It was winter. It's not like I was, you know, in short shorts. Like I was actually having this bullshit ass internal dialogue. And, and I look back on it now and I'm like, okay, maybe the Maritza of today would not be having that internal yeah, dialogue. But, I mean, maybe she would, yeah, yeah. maybe she would, I don't know. But I was, I was at a point in my life where I truly didn't understand why something like that would happen to me. Mm -hmm. And then I learned more about the world and I've traveled a lot since and I've experienced life and I've realized that that had nothing to do with nothing. me. It had everything to do with the world built around me yeah. and that it has everything to do with the fact that public space is a place that wasn't designed for me, but I still have to use it. And so that I'm risking myself and my safety every time that I am audacious enough yeah. to go outside. <laughs> How dare you? Isn't that fucking whack? Men have to do better. Men have to do better. <laughs> PSA to men. Some PSA. some of you are so fantastic. And, and amazing. I love you. And yeah. some of you, I need you to shape up. Yeah. We're going to need you to shape, shape up. Shape up or ship out. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Leave public space to us. We will throw us. you through a door and you will go elsewhere. A portal that will portal. lead you elsewhere, sweetie. In the middle of the desert. Go die. No, anywhere. Anywhere. Just leave. You know what? PSA. Just leave women alone. They don't want to hear your catcalls. They don't want your fucking gaze. It's not a compliment to tell a woman something about her body no. when it... When At she all. did not ask you, it's no, not a compliment. It's not a compliment. Please it's stop. actually just disgusting. It happened to me at Costco the other day with some old man. Ugh. He's like, "Are you Latin?" And I'm like, "What?" No, he did. I forgot to tell you. I'm like, "Okay, uh, what?" And he's like, "Are you Latin?" And I'm like, "Um, my family's from Cuba. Like, what? What do you? What do you want?" He's like, "Oh no, with a body like that, I knew you had to be from the Caribbean in Spanish." He told me, and I just kind of, I was getting a coke for Sean, and I was just like, I just stopped. And I didn't, I just walked away. I didn't know what else to say. I'm just like, you know what? I'm not in the mood for this. No. I am walking away. No, and that's the worst part, I think, is that you're like, you're forced to decide, am I about to try and educate someone right now? Am I about to deal with this? Or am I just going to walk away? And there's like, there's like pluses and minuses yeah, to both. For because sure. I'm a fairly confrontational person. I have absolutely no issue looking at you in the eyes and telling you to fuck off or whatever I need to say to you. I've never had that issue, but it also is incredibly draining. You know, it's not it like, is. it's not like an enjoyable experience, no. but I just, I don't like to walk away feeling like I didn't say what I needed to say, but I also don't like to deal. It's, <laughs> it's just like, stop putting the responsibility on us. Just, just leave us alone. I was just trying to get that hot dog and soda at Costco for my husband. And, and I'm here being assaulted at the soda. Bed. That's the thing. Like we, we literally assaulted. just want to like do our thing. Like we just want to show up, buy our groceries, We're buy our books, like just leave us alone. And it's like, you would never say that to a man. Oh, you look 
strong. You look that you wouldn't. You never stop a man to say. So why do it to us? No, leave us alone. I also I think it's important to talk to about the way that Nadia uses the black robe. Yeah, because I think this is such an important point, especially. In, in, in this day and age, I, I really, like, I really want to talk about this with you. Women are going to, there are some women who are going to feel empowered by wearing a lot and covering themselves. Yeah. And there are women who are going to feel empowered by wearing very little. Leave them both the yeah. fuck alone. They could both wear whatever they want. Whatever the fuck they want. Like this, like, this is where I get mad. I'm very pro like free the nipple okay like if you want to wear a t-shirt and you want to wear a bra underneath and you want to walk around you have a right to do that without some man staring mm-hmm. at you like you are a piece of meat if you want to wrap yourself and cover yourself because you want to go out and feel at peace and know that a man is not going to stare at you i also salute that because i know what it's like to go outside and have that gaze and have people look at you like that and i don't want to deal with it i have gone inside and changed and like put on a sweatshirt because i'm like you know what i don't want to deal with like walking over there and, like maybe there are dudes or like oh if there's a construction site i'm like oh i'm definitely no, not gonna no, wear this not. like you know it's like i just really want people to understand that women have the right to feel empowered in whatever way empowers them yeah. whether it's wearing a lot or wearing very little she's still a person first a woman is not asking for it by wearing very little no, a woman is not uh, necessarily oppressed if she's wearing a lot okay just we we ha- we are autonomous beings we wear what we want it is a form of self-expression it's important to respect that and i think nadia and how she's described in the book is such a good way of proving that point yeah because she's progressive she's so progressive and she's walking around wearing this black robe so everyone assume of course that she prays all the time and that she's you know uh, she, I think she even tells her landlord at one point that she's a widow so that the landlord could take her in because right. she, how dare you rent out a space to a single woman. To an unmarried yeah. woman. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I would be in trouble wherever it is that she's from <laughs> because I, I haven't worn a bra since 2013 and I too am a single woman. <laughs> and that's why I'm happy then my family moved from Lebanon to Cuba to America. There you go. <laughs> on the come up. <laughs> You're on the come up. I mean, this like this book to me, well, actually, I, I laugh because I think about how this is the second book in a row <laughs> where the ending disappointed the shit oh, out of you. And it's oh. my fault because I take responsibility. I... I am, you know, obviously in conversation with Alexa, we decide these books together, but I propose them. And this is the second one that Alexa's like, really, Maritza, the ending? Really? Really? <laughs> it, <laughs> leave, leave the world behind, did that too, yeah? That pissed me off. This one wasn't as much as a, as just like an anger in my soul. It was more like, aww. Yeah, and and Aww. I and I I really want to talk about what we were talking about before we started recording because we always sort of naturally just start talking about the book before we even like, you know, set up the computer and the mic and all that. But um, this idea of a life unlived, right? Yeah. So throughout the book, um, just to be clear, they they go through the doors, they go through, um, you know, many different cities, finding themselves. They have a bunch of you know, different situations with others and themselves. A lot, a lot goes by. A lot of, of life goes by in these moments. And 
you know, their relationship starts to change and the way that they see themselves in the communities that they go to starts to change. And, and that, of course, leads to the ending, which were... And their, and their relationship changes. Yes. And so, not to spoil it, but essentially Nadia and Saeed, you know, they start off in a romantic relationship. It doesn't end that way, no. right? And we see them 50 years into the future, <laughs> right? And before that, though, because they have a cup of coffee 50 years later and... They're both, they both acknowledge that they're happy yeah. and that they cared for each other very deeply at a certain they're, moment in time. Yeah, they were family. They and... were family. They really were family. That That is the definition of chosen family, in my yeah. opinion, how, how the author builds that relationship between the two of them. But prior to that, when, when we start seeing how the world around them and the things that they're experiencing starts to create cracks in mm-hmm. their relationship. But the most heartbreaking thing for me was seeing how a lot of those problems were about how they didn't communicate. Yeah. And how she had moments where she wanted to show affection and she didn't. She held back. Yeah. And he wanted to share something with her, but he didn't. He held back. A lot of and miscommunication. A lot, a lot. And like, not just miscommunication, but also just like not saying anything, anything. at all. Like these silent moments where they both, like there's moments in the book where they lay in bed at night, you know, back to back, not even touching each other anymore and just thinking about these thoughts of, oh, I should tell him this, but I don't want him to think that. Oh, I I wish you would do this, but I don't want to push her into that. And like, if they had just said what was on their mind. What would have happened? What would, like, would they have been happier? Would their lives have been maybe more fulfilled because they were able to communicate? Would they have broken up earlier and then lived, you know, happy lives anyway, you know? Right, exactly. And, And also what's interesting is that we see, you know, we see it crack, right? Like little by little. And we as readers, I think, become increasingly frustrated with them. But the only reason I think that you look back and think of a potentially life unlived is because you feel like you didn't do enough mm-hmm. or you didn't do the right thing. But even in the midst of so much chaos and so much suffering and so much hardship, they still had the same communication issues that so many couples have, yeah. even when their lives are fairly normal, right? Yeah. So true. it just goes to show that, you know, we're humans first and foremost, no matter what we're going through. You know, we're we're gonna be the people who don't know how to communicate or communicate very well or, you know, whatever it may yeah. be. It just it just humanized them that much more to it's me. It. You know? Like they could have done better. But that's every single one of us. There's so many times that I haven't said what I needed to say. Like I think back sometimes and I'm like, man, I really I wish I would have express this i wish i would have told this person this and and that's what sucks so maybe the moral of the story in some way is you know you only ever regret what you don't do or what you don't say say what you need to say i love that song say what you need (laughs) no and it makes me sad too because yes of course we want the the happy ending you know they live happily ever after whatever happy for now whatever it may be but i think at the end of the day you're only doing a disservice to yourself if you don't say what you need to say because you're the one that's going to live with the regret of that and the what if i had said this what if i did that and you're going to look back and and it's on you you know, yeah. like whether that relationship takes runs its course or you live happily ever after, you're going to be thinking of those moments like, oh, I should have said that. Maybe this would be different or maybe he'd treat me differently or look at me differently or we could live this life differently. Yeah. And I think this is a sort of cheesy way to end 
but I do think it's important. I think that when you have a real honest and positive and true connection with somebody, whether that's a friend, a family member, a romantic relationship, whatever it may be, you being honest and you being kind in the midst of communicating that honesty, that will never ruin a real connection. Yeah. So you should never be afraid to say what you need to say because if what you say makes them run off, then you wanted them to run off. Yeah. You might not realize meant, it, yeah. but you definitely in don't hind, want them around. In hindsight, you'll know that they weren't meant to be there. Right. And exactly. you're better off for it. Yeah. Your life is a revolving door. Haha. -ha, door. <laughs> uh, a magical realism door. <laughs> and people are going to come in and out. And that's okay. And that's part of life. And, and you will be a very short chapter in the life of some and a very long chapter in the lives of others. And that a is perfectly. Saga. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm. <laughs> Definitely a saga in yours, that's for sure. Because I've been around, I'm going to be around. I love it. <laughs> that's how it goes. We're going to be drinking wine together until we're like 90. I'm just, I'm still going to come over and be like, hey, Alexa, hey, Sean. I brought some whatever. I brought some cake. I brought some croquetas. You know? I have the perfect wine for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'll bring some like very random thing and you'll just be like, oh my God, can you believe it? I actually have this amazing New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc that goes with, great with that. And I'll be like, oh jeez. I love it. 90 years of the same thing. <laughs> but oh. on that note, um, I am going to continue to sip. We're on our, what, like second glass now? This thing is I delicious. Know. This thing is going to be gone soon. So uh, Maturana Wines, Naranjo, it is from Chile, like I mentioned. And um, it is an orange wine orange wine what could that be so um no don't think schnebly with the fruits and stuff down in homestead this is a very proper wine and yes um orange wine has only become more mainstream in recent years it was very um you know under it's actually one of the oldest forms of winemaking it dates back to to georgia but it's become very hot and popular right now and, and even more so with every year so um, orange wine is also called skin contact wine, and um, it's because it's made with the grape skins on. So it's essentially a white wine, let's say a Pinot Grigio, a Sauvignon Blanc, a Chardonnay, whatever mm. white wine grape could be. But um, when you ferment white grapes, you usually peel off the grape skins, but not in the case for white um, orange wine. So you leave the skins on during fermentation and they essentially give um, not only a more amber glow to the wine, but they also impart some really interesting characteristics. Um, a lot of the tannins, the things that are, are dry on your teeth, mm -hmm. come from the grape skins. So when you leave them on white wine, when they're fermenting in this process, the the wine gets that kind of tannic nature where you normally won't get in white wine. It becomes a little bit more complex, has more savory notes. Um, so it's interesting. And then the deepness of the orange color, you guys will see this on Instagram. So go follow us. Um, it depends on how long you leave the skins on during fermentation. Oh, interesting. So it could vary from days to, to weeks to months. This one, I believe, let me check my notes. I think this one was actually eight months of fermentation. Yeah, this one was eight months. So that's why it's so... It's pretty orange. Orangey amber. Yeah. Very spooky Halloween. <laughs> but yeah, and these wines, they're 
I think they're super fun. Um, a lot of them are, well, no, mostly all of them are considered natural wines. So very low intervention. Um, there's not a lot of winemaking technique per se. Like you're not going to have a winemaker throwing in a ton of shit. They really want the grape to shine, the, the skin contact to shine. They're not going to do a lot of additives to this. So that um, that's always fun with me. And I, you know, like we said, I brought this wine to you in the very beginning. So now you drink the funkiest of funks. Yes. We've had we've had a Georgian uh, orange wine yes, together. We have. Yeah. And it was very I mean, like, there was like sediment in it. And it was very um, it almost looked like a sort of um, like like a like a Hefeweizen beer, you know, like yeah. it's like cloudy. Yes. Cloudiness because they don't filter or find them right. a lot of the time. So you get that sediment, the cloudiness and all I of the, the natural elements of the wine. I love those. So this one in particular, I would say that this is an entry level orange wine. Not mm-hmm. too much funk. Very agreeable. Yeah. If you were to drink this, you're like, cool, I could dig this. Like, because so, we've had a lot and yeah. some of them could get a bit, a bit much. Yeah, a bit funky. bit funky. Which is my jam. I know. Which is my jam. But what I like about orange wine, though, is that like even something like this, that's more entry level all the way to a funky wine. Like they're, they're all so different. They're all so delicious. Like they're all very unique yeah. regardless. Like I don't think so people are. are not used to drinking orange wine. So to me, okay, sure, this is an entry level, but it's still is so unique yes. it's just so different yeah it's not your basic wine at all so this one in particular comes from uh, maule valley in chile it's made by the maturana brothers who now unfortunately the 2010 earthquakes kind of diminished their vineyard so they had to rebuild everything and oh. i know i feel so bad and now um instead of a, a big production now they really focus on small batch artisanal wine so i'm very happy we were able to get this one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um this one is made with the torrental grape a cousin of um torrontes and it actually came from vines that were 80 years old so these are some old ass vines in there and and you could taste it like it's not a light and fluffy wine. This At is all. very yeah. structured and yeah. And, and um, I mentioned in other episodes about the fermentation process and how um, in some wines they use oak barrels, other stainless steel, like Chablis. We we're talking about right. how that Chablis right. was stainless steel. So this is <laughs> fermented in concrete eggs. What so... <laughs> the fuck does that mean? <laughs> You're, you guys aren't going to have a lot of concrete egg wine. So pretty much it, it, so it looks like an egg made of concrete with little legs, like four little legs. Uh-huh. And it's, it looks like an egg. It has a little hole in it where you put the wine in and, and you just, it has a little window, almost like a porthole. And they ferment it, this one, in concrete eggs. And <laughs> this is such a plot twist. I'm picturing, like, twist. A, I'm picturing like Humpty Dumpty, like. I mean, they're gray, though, because they're concrete. But okay. still, it's very much body body type Humpty Dumpty. Wow. <laughs> they, and they do this. There is a reason. It's not just for shits and googles. Okay. So they do this because... So when you put wine to ferment in oak barrels, naturally, there's tiny, tiny holes where the seams are of the, the oak barrels that naturally aerate the wine, like, very minimally. Uh-huh. But 
because it's oak, even if it's neutral oak, you're gonna get some of those tertiary flavors in there. You're gonna get like I think Chardonnay immediately. Yeah, when you you're say gonna that. get some vanilla or some spice or that you're gonna get something inevitably. From it. So concrete eggs are the way because concrete is naturally porous. So you're gonna put it in there. You're gonna put the wine in there. Since it's porous, you're gonna get that natural like minimal aeration. But you are not getting any of those flavors into the wine. Right. So it's a very, it's like a blank canvas almost. Like stainless steel, but with the aeration. They don't import any flavor. Right. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Not a lot of people do it. Um, even that Georgian wine that we drank that time, they actually do them in amphoras. It's like these clay pots, essentially, that they ferment yeah, them in. Yeah, it's yeah. a very similar concept. Yeah. So I it's, yeah like a like a Greek amphora yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's a very old school concept art history one hundred and one boom it totally is though imagine pouring wine in there letting it. it letting it <laughs> but yeah so I thought this is very interesting it's a great entry level so let's let's kind of let's taste and give you some of our thoughts since we've been sipping on it so it's a very orange I would say. And the glass is pretty orange. I would say it's a light to medium amber, judging. I don't have a lot of white paper near me to be super specific, but <laughs> we'll forgive you this time. Mm. On the nose, I get a lot of orange peel. For sure. And like stone fruit. Like an apricot or something. Mm-hmm. But it has a good aroma. I would say it's kind of like medium to intense. Yeah, it's it's not the the sort of citrusy, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that we've been, like, I've been drinking lately. crisp? <laughs> Hell yeah, it's crisp. And you know what else it is? It's fucking refreshing. Refreshing and crisp. Those are my words right there. You can't go wrong. No, uh, This never. is my advice to you guys. <laughs> this is my advice. If you're with a wino and you don't know what to say, just say it's crisp. Say it's refreshing because you can't go wrong. Right? Mm. It's true. You got. You can get far. You can talk so much shit. Sean has a, an Instagram reel where he's like, "This smells like Asian pear." Sean, have you ever had an Asian pear? No, but no, no one's gonna doubt you. No one. No one. This is dry. It um. It has nice um. It has like pretty decent acidity. Should I open my mouth upside down? Let's do it. I'd say it's medium plus acidity. If if I were doing WSCT right now. <laughs> Um, and it, yeah, I think a lot of the orange travels, it has a little spiciness to it, a little tannic mm-hmm. nature. I think, yeah, it has some like citrus, but I want to say it's more like, not candied, but it's not like fresh cut citrus. Yeah. It's more, it's more savory. Yeah. Like vibes. I think it's like a nice, like holiday wine. Mm-hmm. Like, especially for Miami where it doesn't really get cold. Yeah. It's perfect. This is a perfect sort of like Christmas wine too. Yeah, because it's still a white. It's it's very light and refreshing, but yeah. it also has like a like a savory, spicy element to it. So, question: You think you think white wine? You think certain foods to pair? You think red wine, certain foods to pair, etc. Is is that a thing with orange wine? Actually, a lot of orange wine I notice pairs well with like Indian food. Like well, curries I love, well, Indian and food stuff. is like my favorite. It's so. the best. No, I've noticed it pairs very well for the most part. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like with spicy food yeah, in general? Yeah, like spicy food. Indian food. I, I don't know why. I just have found that in my own eating research. It's refreshing. It's crisp. 
this. <laughs> but um, so this wine I got at a Lucio's wine shop, um, which is located kind of by Miami Shores. It's in that little river area. Um, really cute shop. He has an adorable cat named Gatissimo. And Love it. I'm <laughs> going to go just for the cat. He has to go. It's, it's, Sean was just playing with the cat the whole time when I'm like buying a case. And um, I don't remember the price on it. I'm looking at the bottle. But it, I, I know it was under $30. It was yeah. not more than $30. So it's fun. It's funky. I'm sure you could find it online too if you're not in Miami at wines.com. I'm pretty sure I saw it on there for a decent price. Um, and I would implore you really to to search out orange and natural yes. wines of this nature. I think they're not really spoken about in the WSET, um, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust um, booklets and whatnot because they don't really, they don't, as Maritza said, they're all very different. So yeah. they don't fall into categories. It just depends on the winemaker and how they want to make it. It's interesting. But I think they're really funky and fun. So I, I, I really hope you, you get into it and, and you know, like it, enjoy it. Yeah. And I think as, as someone like someone like me, you know, like I'm learning a little, little tiny bit about wine every day through you. Um, I think it's really cool for people who are maybe who, who don't know much about wine and who are learning about wine because it's one of those that, as you've said to me, like someone who knows about wine is just someone who knows what they like. Yeah. Right. So like mm-hmm. if you start discovering this a little bit, you start drinking this a little bit and you start figuring out that you quite like orange wines, you know, that that's that's already very helpful. I was at yeah. I was at a restaurant recently. I was at at Mandolin uh, here in Miami. That's literally like one of my favorite restaurants down ever. The street. Literally down the street. <laughs> it's one of my favorite restaurants ever. Um, and they have a quite a uh, quite a selection of of orange wines. So I was really happy that I was able to look at it and say, oh, fantastic. Oh, there's one from like the Venice area. Fantastic. I'll try that. Done. Like, you know, that's that is really I think the success when you're learning about wine is just being able to figure out what you like. And this is one of them. Oh, and that was that was just my dog Bodie coming in through one of those doors, those magical doors. Yeah, you guys will be surprised to hear this, but we don't have a studio. No, that that was a one-time thing at Pam where we were in the media lab. We normally record in Alexa's bedroom or in her kitchen. Yeah, pretty much. Um, we shun my husband, tell him to go outside until we're done, and either tell the dog to go outside or in my bedroom. Yep. So inevitably, you're gonna hear the dog. You're gonna hear Sean. You're, <laughs> you're gonna, gonna hear, hear the Sean doors. You're gonna hear everything. I try my best to edit, but I am not a professional. No. I, sh- shocker, girl. The girl with a million hobbies. <laughs> not a girl, professional. We, dab- we dabble in everything. We can't, we can't be good at everything. Oh, but no. This really warms my heart that we're ending on orange wine and this book. Um, I think orange wine is very mysterious and whimsical and just like the doors and everything that we, you know, discussed today. So um, I really enjoyed the conversation, Maritza. I I hope you guys enjoyed it and, and, you know, feel free to hit us up on Instagram or email and and continue the conversation. If you want to get all of our updates on what book is next, uh, sign up for our mailing list. If you want to rock our merch, go to our Etsy shop. There's many ways to be a pod pop pop pod fan. Um, yep. And I'm not going to say too much, but I will say that we heard you when we put up the poll about whether or not you were interested in us covering and discussing a book that was uh, shortlisted for the national book award, Woo! we heard you. So next episode, expect us to discuss a very 
cool shortlisted for the National Book Award book this year. So I'm super excited about that. Yes. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at Pouring Over Pages Podcast. We are going to New York soon. So you could follow us and our travels there. We will be hitting up all the wine and bookshops. So come with us. You'll catch us at the Strand. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> Shout out Strand. But um, <laughs> thanks again. It's been an amazing conversation and cheers. Cheers. Thank <laughs> you.